Welcome to Frontier 3, presented by PatSnap. In this 20-episode podcast series, we will be unpacking the innovation ecosystem of Web3. From tokenized physical goods to the digital assets and smart contracts that will build the metaverse, Web3 is one of the biggest technological and socioeconomic paradigm shifts in history. Join PatSnap's co-founder, Ray Chohan, for a fascinating deep dive into how Web3 will fundamentally change how we live, work, and play. Welcome to Frontier 3. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Episode 7 of Frontier 3, presented by PatSnap. In this episode, Ray is joined by Alex Voltengoyer, who is the CEO and co-founder of CoinPanion, which is a digital crypto manager. During this episode, Ray speaks to Alex about how his company is making investing in innovative new assets more accessible and the huge potential in the future of crypto, NFTs, and Web3. You are going to absolutely love today's episode with Alex, and without further ado, let's jump right in. Today's episode is brought to you by PatSnap. Learn how to unlock your limitless innovation potential with connected innovation intelligence. CII is an AI-powered technology that comes through millions of disparate data points, segments them by industry and relevance, and weaves the insights together to create a meaningful narrative. The result? A holistic 360-degree market view where you can easily spot risks, identify opportunities, and accelerate the pace of innovation. We created the definitive guide to connected innovation intelligence to give you an in-depth understanding of how CII can help your business innovate better. If you want to grab a copy of this, head over to patsnap.com or click the link in the description of this podcast to get it today. Now, without further ado, let's jump right into today's episode. Alex, welcome to Frontier 3. Really excited to have you on the show today. Um, I know we've been going back and forth on, on LinkedIn. It, your business really caught my imagination, in specific, your location on the great work you're doing in the Duck region. So Alex, would love to kick off with your journey. How did you get orange-pilled, blue-pilled, red-pilled, red-pilled? <laughs> red like, what happened, Alex, and how you got sucked into this world? Yeah, actually, it started... Uh quite some while ago in high school. So back in, I don't know, 2014, 2015, I was going into like a technical focused high school and I was earning some pocket money by buying and selling um, digital games like Steam games. You know, you know, this gaming platform Steam from Valve? Steam as a, I'm not a big gamer. I used to be many, many, many years ago, but uh, Steam rings a bell as, are they one of the brands of big game shops? Yeah, yeah, no, it's like a digital platform where you basically have a collection of your games and you can like basically play with your friends and it's completely PC focused. It's pretty mm-hmm. big. And back then what I did is basically I started buying and selling game activation keys on different forums. And by buying and selling them, I often got paid via Bitcoin. And I don't know, I was like 15. I was like, oh, wow, okay. This is like a digital version of money. Pretty cool, pretty cool. Um, nothing too special, to be honest. Um, I was just like using it as a ex- um, medium of exchange, similar to um, PayPal. And what I found interesting is just this like technical concept. Okay, I can limit it through an algorithm. 
and yeah, just by earning some money on the side with um, selling and buying these game keys, I kind of got like into this Bitcoin game. And through that, this whole journey of me being like a crypto obsessed person started. Um, then in the end of the high school, I actually developed a PayPal Bitcoin marketplace <laughs> because I always was so annoyed to exchange these two things. And just by doing that, I got a bit deeper into how the technology actually works with, okay, th this is the mining, you have the wallets, okay, this is the private keys. Before of that, I just used blockchain.com and it was like, okay, it's, it's just digital money. And always going forward, forward, always was a bit in contact with the technology and uh, Bitcoin especially, but I never really got too deep into it until 2017. And I think everybody knows what happens in 2017. It was this- <laughs> <laughs> it was Price this, action. That was the price action year, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. It, it was that moment where everybody noticed, okay, crypto could be something. Like the first time, I would say the first cycle of, public mainstream acknowledgement of the industry. And I just kind of like, I was following news and I saw this, this Bitcoin thing going up and I was like, hey, hey, wait a minute. I still have some Bitcoins from my high school days somewhere on a wallet on Polonix or um, blockchain.com. And I just, I like basically I run to my wallet and checked it out and I was like, okay, fuck, I have a lot of money. <laughs> So, so that this red pilling moment actually started of me just being like a 19 year old student, luckily dropping into this, this crypto chaos and making some money on it. And yeah, now, now, now that I actually have like this, like this personal stake into this whole industry, I got like more excited about it. Like I started reading about it. I got super into this ICO game, checking out all this initial coin offering, started trading around. And because I also had like a technical background, I really, I got, got really excited with this smart contracting thingy, like Ethereum and so, okay, wow, I can basically develop on the blockchain. It's so easy. There are so many possibilities. And I started then doing freelancing on the side as like a smart contract consultant, Solidity developer. And also my student apartment, I built up like a pretty big mining farm. So we were like three students living in an apartment. And we were like buying graphic cards together through eBay, everything we could get just to mine more, just to mine more. <laughs> so you're like you and your friends are just ordering ASICs and just creating your own. No, 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 more like normal graphic cards because ASICs, we, we bought one initially. And the issue was they were so fucking loud that the neighbors came complaining. Like they were like, oh, what are you doing in your apartment? We cannot sleep at night. And we're like, okay, shit, we have to sell them. <laughs> but the fear miners were just like, um, quiet enough that we could leave them. <laughs> Alex, just pausing there because I can visualize you and your gang doing this. How old were you at that? Like, how 19, old were you? I think I was around 19. 19. Nice. nice. I, was, so I was studying here in Vienna, business and economics, and basically doing that on the side because, yeah, I just like tech. Brilliant. Makes sense. So, okay, sorry, I interrupted. So, obviously, you, you kind of freestyle mining with a few buddies, and then, yeah, pl please carry on. Yeah, but basically it was all everything at the same time. I basically started mining them. Uh, I started like jumping on and selling, like jumping on ICOs, selling, buying shit coins also, researching them, getting excited about what could be possible. And in the end, finding out the okay, kids a bit too early on the other hand. <laughs> but I, I really got like excited a bit of the greed mechanism in the end, but also in the tech, like I said, I also started developing on it. And then what happened in like end of 2017, beginning of 2018 was 
I was lucky enough to meet my today's co-founder, Matthias, which is also our CTO, where we just talked a bit about crypto, what, what is possible, how is gonna, our world going to change with it. And we basically discussed this, this problem, I would call it, that it's so fucking complicated to follow up with the space and to like just passively invest in it. Because I was like basically spending my whole day just like trying to, to grasp what, what is going on. And a lot of people I met during these days were, okay, this sounds exciting, but I, it's just too complicated. So we started developing as a side project next to university as a first solution of this problem of asset management in crypto, some sort of crypto copy trading platform. So the idea was, okay, it's too complicated for most people to manage their investments in the crypto space, cannot just like professional take over it. And what we did is basically interconnecting different um, exchanges like Kraken, Binance, and rerouting their, um, their orders so people could just basically re replicate portfolios. And from that on, basically, we were developing that, did some other projects on the side. And with the time, with the studies, I got more and more into basically asset management, investing, also started like doing ETF investments, stock investments. Did some startup investments as well, and in 2000, end of 2019, beginning 2020, we basically were like at the end of the university. We had this copy trading platform, and we were like, "Hmm, this is actually quite a shitty product we built <laughs> because it had no nothing to do with like actual investing. It kind of developed just into like a gambling platform." And that was then the point where we said, okay, now, now it's actually a good time. Do we want to be entrepreneurs and do we want to do something in the crypto space? Yes. And yes. What could we do? And then we decided, okay, we still are excited about just making accessibility easier and decided to basically build a digital asset management platform on crypto, um, cryptocurrency focus, which is basically companion and what I'm doing today. So the idea today is really to basically build a black rock for digital assets. To make it easy to invest in different crypto categories, like I, I want to invest in the NFT space, I want to invest in the metaverse space, I want to invest in the DeFi space, I want to invest in digital art, I want to invest in gaming items, like all these new innovative asset classes to one platform in a simple manner. And that's what we are doing today. So this okay. whole like high school years starting kinda kinda developed into building a platform around investing in that space. Okay. Makes sense. Thank you very organic natural story there so it looks like in your kind of um, mid to late teenage years you were red pilled or orange pilled and then then you kind of experiment and, and then kind of find your journey with bitcoin panion and just going back a few minutes it, it caught my attention you mentioned th there were specific technological primitives which really ignited your passion um I think we're similar in a certain way. It was really the smart contract capability, which caught my imagination because mm -hmm. I'm from a, a B2B enterprise software space. Um, and you could kind of connect the dots together on how that could be applied in a B2B context. But just for our audience, especially the folks on LinkedIn, I still think 85 to 90% of really talented Web2 professionals don't really have a freaking clue <laughs> of what smart contracts really are and what they will enable. So could you unpack that for the audience in a, in a very simplistic format on A, what it is and what do you think the potential of that technology is 2022 and, and beyond? Yeah, sure. I can, I, I can at least try. Let's, let's, let's say it like that. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I always had like a, a bit of a technic, technical background. So Bitcoin, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist, was for me mostly like, okay, this is like digital scarcity. Makes sense. You have an algorithm which basically limits you to produce more than any initial set. The smart contract thing was for me a way more efficient solution, uh, solution to more problems because it, um, it ultimately automates away middlemen. So in traditional um, products and traditional finance and traditional internet, you always have a middleman, which basically is a source of trust. So we too want to do a transaction basically, or like to have some sort of agreement. We have some, somebody in the middle, which is this trusting entity we both trust and in the end helps us to execute our exchange. And if you like break, break down a lot of things, a lot of things are just breakdowns, um, like, uh, just exchanges between people. Like we exchange likes, we exchange images, we exchange money, we exchange everything. Basically, it's always like this connection between people of like sharing and giving away. And a lot of this happens with intermediates. And the nice thing now with smart contracts is you basically can just automate it away. So you have this source of truth, which is basically blockchain because you know, okay, the code basically makes sure this transaction executes. And so we too agree, okay, if you do that, I give you that. And we don't have somebody in the middle, which is basically escrow system. It's just, if that event happens, the contract automatically executes and gives you your part of the agreement, right? So, th so that's the interesting thing around it because I always like it on a DeFi space because I'm a bit more into the, the, the financial space. It's like, why do I need banks or also notaries or like insurances as intermediates to move around people's agreements? I can just like do it with code. If we two agree, if I give you, I don't know, a house now and you pay it off, we can just like basically tokenize it and do it through the blockchain and have it a security there. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. That's what I think we're on the same page then. I mean, that abstracting away the ARB and sorry to offend anyone, the shitty middlemen yeah. in the middle who don't really offer value, let's face it. They offer no fucking value. They're just ARBing uh, a scenario, right? And adding as a, a middleman proxy. And in essence, they, they layer in inefficiency into the market, right? So... Um, I think who said it? God, the name slips my mind, but um, he's a, oh God, I'll, 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 I'll try to remember the name later, but it's kind of the analogy that code is law and, mm -hmm. and, and, and these languages can arb out any big law firm or an individual so-called specialist who kind of tries to manage a, a transaction. So, so, so that pretty much makes sense. And on that curve, in your opinion, Alex, where are we? Because I know we're ultra early in the on the impact on what smart contracts will make in, in society and in the business world. Like where we are in terms of time mark, are we like where the internet was in 1995, 96, or are we slightly further along in, in your opinion? Oh, that's a really tough question. I would say we are still super, super early. I think especially like 2021 was the kickstarting year for all this technology developments. You also kind of see it with how the market developed around NFTs, which are like a super interesting concept. Web3 as an actual like thought of, I have, a cent I have like a decentralized 
wallet, a unit, which basically then connects to centralized institution to execute, um, execute agreements. So I would definitely say we are like in the 1995s, 1996 of crypto and digital assets in general. And you also see it still in the prices. So, I mean, two trillion, three trillion crypto market capitalization sounds like a lot, but if you compare it with the potential it could have, it's like actually really, really low. And also with the NFT space going up, now it seems like it's getting hype, but it's still like really early in the curve. If you look at the prices and the, the volumes, I think we are like in a total of 60 billions right, right now with market capitalization around NFTs, which are mostly digital art. And we have seen the classic traditional markets like a 1.8 trillion US dollars locked in art. So I feel like, okay, people start now to recognize this is something but it's still in the early phase. I feel like we're running in a bit into this dot-com bubble mechanism. So it's like this moment, okay, technology is here and there is a use case and we see the use case is developing. So people get like super, super overexcited. It's always like the same, this Gardner hype cycling. Yeah, they get super overexcited. Oh my God, the future is going to be that and that and it's going to be soon and it's happening and Facebook is now meta and they want to build a metaverse. The metaverse is going to build on NFTs. We're almost living there. So there's like this influence of like a lot of hype, a lot of hype, a lot of hype, which gives you the feeling, okay, we are just, we are way far along the journey than we actually are. And then it will eventually pop. And I'm also the opinion like 99 or 95%, whatever, of all these digital assets, which you currently know, is it DeFi applications, is it cryptocurrencies, is it the NFTs, will still go down and implode basically. But what we definitely are there is we have the anchor point of adoption, of technical adoption. So I feel like, okay, we're early in the curve. We are way high with the adoption wise. We are high on the hype, which and then will pop, but the adoption will continue and will take another couple of years. Yeah, I would share your sentiment. It's that famous uh, phrase history always repeats itself, but it always kind of rhymes in a slightly different way. So if you look at, that run up in the mid nineties to the dot-com boom, you had this huge markdown and an implosion mm-hmm. and you had what probably four to five meaningful players left your Cisco's, your Amazon's uh, and a couple of others, right. Who are still around today and, and built uh, category defining businesses. I actually think within this web two hype cycle, I completely agree with you, Alex, it's going to be mm-hmm. a huge markdown, of the projects will go to zero or have a huge drop down and be immaterial. But I think you might have, instead of four to six companies like they were in web two, you might have 18 to 20 projects, which are meaningful. And yeah, I I definitely believe that too. I think it's going to be more distributed. Yeah. Because the impact is like so broad on so many levels. Basically we have um, like a revolution on, financial services, like the complete financial sector. We have a revolution in the complete like artist, um, creator movement. We have a complete revolution on internet in general. So I feel like this is like going in so many directions that there will definitely be more than just three, four, five projects and companies which will succeed from it. It's always always a bit hard. Where do you, where do you take the line? Where's the line of what is digital assets, what is not? For me, it's basically everything which is based on DLT technology. So if you really say, okay, DLT technology, everything which is based on that is crypto, then I'm for sure that this is going to be like 
the biggest space ever we kind of experienced, like bigger than the internet because it goes so, so far deeper. And yeah, I couldn't agree more. And so, so moving away slightly from market and, and kind of price action forecasts and just some of the some of those areas, back to the smart contract piece. So that made sense in terms of how that grabbed your imagination. But what are some of the other primitives which made you fall out of your chair when you came across this whole space? Because again, there's still so many people out there who don't even understand the fundamentals of the blockchain and, and, and know how it actually works and how that is just a far more superior database, ledger, it's distributed. So is there any other specific slivers of that tech stack which made you think, holy shit, I want to spend my career in this space? Something which can catch our audience's imagination, allow them to go away and, and do their own homework. <laughs> I mean, like I, I, in the last couple of months, what catch my attention a lot is definitely the NFT space, but uh, this is probably no surprise because it got really, really hyped. What I find interesting is we already had it in like in 2017. You probably remember it. Yeah, I mean, CryptoPunks are from 2016 or something. I don't know, I don't know exactly, but we also had the short hype of CryptoKitties. And it actually back then I thought, okay, what a bullshit. <laughs> now that I spend more and more time into the industry and actually connect us with more people around it, I see it becoming more and more a thing. Also a bit with the combination of this metaverse and this general idea of Web3 that we have unique things in the internet as well as um, in real life. So that, that caught my imagination when I started thinking about myself. Also like back when I was gaming, I started spending money for, for example, game skins. Like I, I played a lot Counter-Strike, so I bought game skins so people knew, okay, I have a nice weapon, I am like a pro gamer. And now if you look, I, I try to always look a bit at, at this, uh, from a macro level. If you see that the generation and the digital shift, which we are currently experiencing, you just look how much time you spend on digital mediums. I mean, we are doing this podcast through our web browser in a digital way, right? And like the moment you are born to nowadays, the moment you are born more or less at the same time, your digital self is basically born, right? People like kids spend time on YouTube, they generate their feed, they start hanging out in communities, they start gaming at super, super early phases. Like once I really understood how, how deep this digital self or digital identity goes, um, which you already see like Instagram, Reddit, I mean, there are like thousands of examples which you do it on the web free platforms. I, I kind of grasped to me also this sense of NFTs. Why this is such a huge space is like, Okay, when I say my life is more than 50% digital, it is basically this, it doesn't make a difference if I buy, a, I don't know, a clothing for my avatar or I buy it in real life or I buy a luxury car or I buy it in, like in the metaverse or, or buy it in real life. So like all these prestigious things for sure will be an even bigger space in the internet or like in the metaverse or whatever you call it because more people can see it. <laughs> And I've been pretty sure this will be based on blockchain technology. And the second thing is, I also see it on the interoperability when we really say, okay, our life is going more and more digital and we have like, we have this metaverse thingy coming up. It kind of has to be blockchain based because it won't be that you have like the silos of 
okay, Facebook has their own system and then you have, I don't know, Microsoft, their own system. I think you need like a common layer of interconnection of these things. And I see a lot that basically crypto tokens will be that intermediate because you again have this trustless database or like trustless layer where I can, can like store my things without having the central um, authority deciding over it. And I can just like access it through different parties. So going deeper and deeper in NFTs, I wouldn't say I'm still 100% in it, but I definitely feel like this is something really, really deep on a macro level, especially always looking at Gen Z and millennials. So yeah. Yeah. I, I it's interesting. Know. Yeah, our it, it it's it's really weird. This one, our journey sounds very similar now because <laughs> when I heard about NFTs, what is it? This kind of it would have been Q four of twenty twenty where I just started loosely looking at it, and then you had NBA Top Shots right mm-hmm. in early part of last year, right? And if you look at OpenSea's revenue, I think twenty nineteen. Shit, I think it was like 2020, OpenSea's revenue was $24 million. Yeah, it was super low. Yeah, and last year, it was $15 billion. And if you look at last year, it was January when NBA Top Shots, that was NBA's first foray into it. I remember seeing, I remember showing my wife going, oh, because I used to collect cards when I was a kid, so I was trying to just... Yeah, yeah, you're always connected with the real life thingy, right? Yeah, just, yeah, just it makes it. it's just a digital thing, right? It's it just, especially my age. I'm, I, I mean, I, I, I'm 40, so mm. I'm 41. So I grew up with sports cards and collecting stickers and albums, and obviously in the 90s, the internet, Web One and Web Two. But it's really dropped for me in the last two months. Thinking about the whole surface area of what nfts encapsulates it basically if you look at culture as an asset class that asset class is huge it's just self-expression right and we express ourselves in so many different ways it could be through clothing it could be through i mean expressing ourselves online through pictures or liking or supporting certain causes in a digital format it could be the car that you drive where you live we we're basically as human beings always signaling right on what we Mm -hmm. believe nfts just amplify that right and make that surface area a lot bigger and it's interesting you're getting excited about this space and i'm sure this might feed into the coin panion product roadmap but we had (laughs) some some of the great team members from adidas on our pod um a chap called diego uh, borgo really talented um nft thought leader and actually he works in adidas and obviously you can see in adidas you see nike really ape into this space mm. right and kind of have the nft and then back it up with a physical item right so if you buy say the air jordan 15 nft you get then gated access to x privileges blah 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 but that's the early design space i think it's going to be mind-blowing where the design space evolves to we probably can't even imagine it right now mm-hmm. on what it can become so we're definitely on the same page so so digging into that further i really like how you, how you call it the asset class of the culture i think that kind of describes it perfectly and culture is just such a huge thing and especially now with more automation like i feel like this this whole create creating stuff for pleasure and culture will always become bigger and bigger 
I mean, so, it's been going, if you really think about it, it's been there for hundreds of years, right? In the world, the culture as an asset class, we now have a, a digital layer to kind of evolve it and mm -hmm. allow people to exchange. This is the first time you can truly exchange value at scale and culture is the underlining kind of primitive behind it. So, so that's interesting. So, so going to Coin Panion, are you exploring an NFT product line? Is that something? I mean, obviously, I know you can only discuss certain things, but it seems like you, that would be a compelling offering to get people involved into maybe an ETF, which is tracking top NFT. Is, is that something that you guys are exploring? If so, what does that look like? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually laughing a bit when you said that. That's exactly what we're currently exploring. So, I mean, we already tapped our feet a bit in DeFi. So, so we have, we excited about a lot of things in the crypto space. Like I said, I really think it's going to go into every aspect of our lives, but especially NFTs is something we, we started exploring intensively the last three to four months. And there is a product coming up this year. So I, I'm not going to go too deep into it. But I think that's going to be our first step to basically offer access to NFTs in general as an asset class. But we also plan to go deeper into subcategories again, because NFTs is again such a huge and broad topic. Now, now it's not, now it's like just starting. And like I said, I think it's around 60 billion of market capitalization, the whole space. But going further and further, it's going into all different aspects again. It's going to go in music. It's going to go in art. It's going to go in gaming or it's like just whatever you can imagine basically and there will be for sure products around that on companion because we kind of our mission basically is we really make innovative new assets accessible and nfts are such a fundamental thing of that is the form factor i know you can't go into the detail but in essence will it allow folks to index into yes. the asset class in a broader sense yes yes it, 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 i mean i can go that deep yeah definitely it's exactly like that it's what our focus is always be like exposure to the new things, because if you go really deep in alternative assets, which crypto and NFT still are, it's like, it's like super complicated where to start off. Because I mean, we noticed there's, there's like happening a lot of individual art space, but it's really hard to like catch up with it. So I feel like for most investors, which just want to have exposure to certain industries and technologies, it's just best to have like an index portfolio view of it. And that's basically where we see our ankle. Yeah, because I think for Joe Public and retail, trying to cherry pick meaningful NFT projects, you're going to get butchered because the, the the big players in that space are the, I think the individual players who are big on Twitter. I think G Money's one of them, but I was listening to his story and he's got a long history and understanding culture and how that converges with gaming and and future kind of customer demand. And I think, I think DC is another chap, I think in the U S who's got like an insane collection, which is basically the who's who of uh, the, the big ones. So, so I think, yeah, I think you guys are heading down a, a compelling route of allowing retail to have exposure without having them to think about all the bloody different projects, because <laughs> it's a landmine and you're probably going to end up in a bloodbath by going individually into projects. So, so, so that's great. And I think in general, cherry picking is, it's, it's the same for stocks. I, I mean, like for NFTs and like, like less known um, asset class is always more complicated. I, I would generally say cherry picking is always really, really hard and 
for the average Joe, not the right thing to do. Okay, makes sense. And, and now going into in region, that's what you caught, your profile caught my imagination on LinkedIn because I was like, I really want to unpack the DAC region because mm-hmm. so Pat Snap, we've got loads of amazing customers in that part of the world. So, and I think crypto Twitter and a lot of what we might see on Masari or Coindesk, it's always kind of North American slanted. If it is Europe, a little bit of UK, but not much global exposure on what's actually happening in Austria, Germany, Switzerland. So just backtracking slightly, obviously you're doing 60 million euro in trading volume on the platform right now from what I can see on your landing page. Oh, it's actually way more. I think that's outdated. <laughs> cool. So, okay. So you're, you, you probably, you smash well past that. I think you should update yeah. it then. Cause I think yeah, actually, I actually, Justin, the moment you said it, I was like, okay, we definitely have to update that. <laughs> what, what, what's the trading volume now? Well, I, I don't know it exactly, but it's way over 100. Oh, over a hundred million euro. Congratulations. Yeah. So thanks, you're thanks. trading in the right direction. At a retail level and just institutional level, what's, what's the adoption been like in Austria? and neighboring countries yeah i mean austria has like a really good and like known player i would say european wide which is driving a lot of the adoption for the last couple of years which is bitpanda i I guess you know them right the name rings a bell but i had no clue they're originally from austria oh yeah they're originally from austria it's like one of the few like the, the main issue with europe in general or the eu in general is like that there is a lot of regulation, but it's unclear regulation. Like there is some sort of regulation for crypto businesses and basically asset manager under it, but it's not regulated enough that you have a European solution. So I think that basic that stops a lot of the innovation and adoption of it. But but a lot of companies are now breaking through. So uh, it's always hard to say how far are we with the adoption curve. But I'm pretty sure that I would say that Europe lags behind Asia, US, and the UK. Like the EU, sorry, EU is lagging behind the English-speaking parts and the Asian countries just because of it's harder to access these products, especially through European players. There are not a lot of EU players. So we are definitely one or two steps before most other countries in that regard. But what is cool is that we see a lot of development, especially happening in um, Austria. So there is a pretty vivid um, crypto scene in Austria with Bitpanda as the biggest player there with, a, I think, a 4.5, 4 billion valuation nowadays, but also happening a lot on the NFT space. I, I know a couple of developers and companies which are now working on new NFT products. I know a couple of people working on DeFi. So with with the big player, which kind of showed, okay, it's possible to build a huge crypto company out of Austria. That also gives the incentive for more people to start companies in that space, which then is like this rolling effect, which also trans- transfers in the, in the basically in the general public. So to summarize it again, I think it is happening. I also see the growth there. I mean, our product is basically, um, the image of mainstream adoption, like the average show wants to have exposure in that industry, but we are still a long way um, behind other players like Asia, US and the UK, but it's happening. It makes sense. And I can see on your offering, you've got cautious, balanced, adventurous, and obviously the NFT and, and Metaverse uh, ETF 
is it out or, or maybe coming out soon? No, so you, no, you can already invest in it. But this is like right. mostly on technology based. So it's not like real exposure to NFTs. Like you, you don't own a fraction of an a, bought ape or I don't know CryptoPunk. It's more like the technology is often used for these blocked, um, for oh, these okay. products. Okay. Also yeah. the L1, L2s, yes. and, and yes. all the infrastructure picks and shovels. Okay, great, brilliant. So, so looking at that offering, how does it work on the back end when you're constructing an index? Like, what is your methodology? Because this can sometimes turn into a black hole, right? Because there's so much nuance and there is no official methodology on valuation, la, la, la. It's still, it's still quite ambiguous. So, so what, does it, what, what, do, what does it look like backstage at mm-hmm. CoinPanion on, on your differentiators on how you can index things in a, in a compelling way? Yeah, actually, you, you said it right. That's one of the hardest things. <laughs> so w- when we started out, we actually worked with an open source um, ranking system or scoring system for crypto, which was called the Fundamental Crypto Asset Score, FCAS. Perhaps you heard of it. But in the last two years, we started evolving from that and basically built an own scoring system for crypto assets, which you use to select the cryptocurrencies. And this one is like based on four pillars. So it's completely database and we look at four pillars. So the first pillar is blockchain activity. So we scan, okay, how much is happening on the specific blockchain? How many wallets are created? How many transactions are executed? How many smart contracts are executed, et cetera, et cetera. And basically get a metric out of that. The second pillar is then development activity on that blockchain. So we look at, okay, how many GitHub um, like commits are, GitLab, et cetera, you know it. So how much development is happening? Again, get a metric out of it. Then the third one is sentimental data. So we use different tools to scan Discord communities, Twitter communities, Telegram communities to see, okay, how much is like in a community going on around this project? Is the community um, growing? Is the actual exchange? Are these actual people in this community? Is it just, uh, just bots? And get a metric on the like sentimental um, at, um, social score. And the third one is classic market data, where we look at especially money flows. So how much is like going in exchanges of the specific cryptocurrency, how much is going out, like out of exchanges, how much is like not moving around, like how strong are they holding hands, how concentrated is the, the whole, like the whole holdership, like who holds most of it? Is it just 1% who holds 90% of the token or is it pretty distributed? And basically it's then a mathematical system where we just build, um, bundle up this four pillars of data and get out a score from zero to 1,000. If, if a cryptocurrency is above 700, we say, okay, this is a project we will include in our portfolio selection. There's one more thing which is happening in the end. There's like one more like human touch to it that we check the project that not like something really strange comes into it or that we have regulatory, like coins with regulatory issues in it. So then like this, this is basically a selection process. And in the end, we bundle them up together in a separate wallet per customer and balance the portfolios using risk parity. And risk parity is like a state of the art as a management solution. So it's also not like really, <laughs> it's not a secret how we do it. So you basically like analyze the volatility of the asset. And if you see like, for example, Ethereum starts jumping up and down, jumping up and down, there's like a lot of market volatility happening in that specific asset. The algorithm starts reducing the exposure so you are like closer to the mean variance portfolio, which basically then is 
an optimate, optimal mix to, between risk and reward. And I think like this, the cherry of that whole system is really the selection mechanism. And we are currently working on a project to also make it public. So also this is not going to be a secret how this exactly works. We are currently working on an own page where you can like use the companion crypto score and have like a coin market cap like page and you see all our like fundamental assessment of the assets. Nice. That, I think that would be cool. That reminds me of, um, God, there's a business called HubSpot back in the day, very web too, but you could grade your website. Mm-hmm. So upload your URL and it will grade your website for being kind of fertile for SEO or, or driving inbound leads. So so it's great. You're, you're, it's, a, it's a similar concept. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's the idea. So I see like there's also a lot of companies like specific in a niche popping up, trying to like assess crypto, like, okay, how, is it fundamentally a good product? And we just said, okay, why don't we just make our system public to the degree that people can just look it up if they're interested in it? Because in the end, it's a win-win situation. I mean, the industry becomes more professionalized and we position ourselves also as a, like a, as a, as a like a knowledgeable player in the field because we provide the score, right? There's so many, I mean, there's been a huge burst, right, of analysts, shops and houses in this space, right? You... I'm actually speaking to one soon called, I think, evi.io. Uh, mm-hmm. They're based, I forgot where they're based. Actually, they're based in Dubai and they have a, a certain kind of research methodology to kind of come to a valuation number, a network effect number. But then you have Masari. I love the team at Masari. I love their product. We use a lot of their data. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you use Masari. And then obviously I think there's Nason in Singapore is another one. And then you've got into the block who are interesting. I think they're based in Europe where they do a lot mm-hmm. of kind of on-chain analysis. I think so there's a whole bunch of players. This reminds me so much of like the nineties and you had obviously Reuters with their terminal products pop up. You had SMP global have a whole number of variety mm-hmm. of debt products, credit products, market research products a company I worked at when I was a kid called data monitor, I had a whole variety of market intelligence offerings. So that the same's happening in this world, but just a lot more faster within web three. So, so that that's cool. Your methodology makes sense. I was actually making a note of some of the indicators and you mentioned the GitHub analysis and <laughs> electric capital released a really cool report this week. I don't know if you, yeah, so Electric Capital's uh, developer report, which mm-hmm. I thought was a cool proxy. It kind of it gives you a rough idea where the ship's heading, but it's only open source uh, submissions, right? Mm-hmm. We know a big part of the community is closed source, especially some of the folks in the Solana community and some of the other L1s. So like in terms of developer uh, adoption, where do you think we are? Because I think Electric Capital had, what, 18,000? Yeah, yeah, I think something space. like that. What do you think that number really is if you were to bake in closed source? Just, just roughly guessing. It's, it's, it's really hard. I think it's like at least 10 times bigger or 15 times bigger than that. Because Shit. like you said, okay. because you said it like, then it's always the question, what, what do you call like <laughs> blockchain or crypto developers? Because I feel like especially companies like Coinbase, Bitpanda, et cetera, et cetera, I know they employ a lot of people which are also working on crypto products. The products are just not open source yeah yeah and i actually read a nice article a while ago from i think the wall street journal or something 
where they discussed that there is actually now a pretty big outflow of the classic Web2 companies like our Facebook, Google, etc. Like companies like this, which were the mainstream and coolest company you could work or work um, for when you, yeah, like five years or ten years ago when you were a developer, that they have like a real outflow now of really good and talented people going into Web3 companies. So th this is the new hot space. And I think especially tech people kind of acknowledge it that there's so much you can build and there's so much which will be built and they just want to be part of it now. Same as the internet rush, right? I couldn't agree more. I mean, you're, you know where I'm seeing even outflows are happening everywhere. Even legacy companies or incumbents who are trying to be cool and launch their Web3 motion a la Meta, well, let's face it, they're really Facebook, all the all the top players from their Novi team and the Novi Wallet team have left. Like you, you can actually see it. I mean, it's all over LinkedIn, and I think there's there's one business. I'm, I'm trying to um, re remember the name of the organization, but if you go on LinkedIn, the entire team are ex Novi within <laughs> Facebook, and they've just left. And like, holy shit, this takes too much time and a large incumbent. I can just raise money very quickly. Let's just build this ourselves. So it's, um, yeah, I, I think they're called Mistin Labs. You might want to check them out. They're more of an infrastructure. We'll definitely check them player, out. The Mistin Labs team are all ex-Novi. Yeah, my, I mean, it's always a, a bit of a risk if you put a, a couple of really smart and like passionate people in a room and you kind of try to use the methodology on them, which you use on your classic Web 2 product that they kind of get too excited and just want to build on it and like do it themselves, right? Because as I'm, I feel like, especially now for a player like Facebook or Google, they have to be limited to a, a certain point, which probably don't comply with all their really good people. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree. You're seeing that shift. It's all the yeah. incumbents. If any of them launch a, I think the only, well, I wouldn't call them incumbent because I, I really like their founder, but, um, Actually, he kind of Jack Dorsey's cool, but I disagreed with his Web three view on when he had his little tweet Twitter burst. But generally, <laughs> he, he is he, he's, he's a, a cool guy. Yeah. yeah, he's a cool guy and he's smart. But it, it's companies like well, that now they're called the Block, right? They're not called Square anymore. But I'll just mm -hmm. call them Square. Square can attract people, I think, because they're still not that big where they're not cool, mm -hmm. and and it's a founder led business and the founder who founder who a lot of people genuinely believe in and follow. So I actually think the only one who's going to probably attract good talent is probably going to be Square and maybe one or two others. Yeah, I think what, what Facebook or Meta has a big problem is just like they have a really bad public opinion. Nowadays. Yeah. Like it's just not a cool company anymore. And it it's not it's not like, oh, wow, I'm going to work for Facebook. It's like more like, oh, wow, yeah, I have to work for Facebook. I don't know. <laughs> it's just yeah. not, that's just not the, the, the excitement is just not there anymore. It's it's really hard. I feel like the, the rebranding helped them a bit, like on my personal impression on them. But I can imagine it's like really tough for them to keep most talented people nowadays. Because if you're really talented, you can work everywhere. That That's also just a fact. Yeah, I think the rebranding, I think I could... It's not going to work. I can already see it's not working because you have so many people saying, yeah, Facebook. They're not even calling it meta. They're like, it's yeah. fucking Facebook, man. Forget that shit. Forget that video they launched. That video they launched as well. It was too stiff. 
It was too corporate. <laughs> yeah, it was, it I mean, was people funny. were just cutting up clips off that video and just posting on Twitter, LinkedIn, and just laughing at it because it didn't. And if you analyze that video, there was nothing mentioned around interoperability about being open. If you look at the script of that video, the true things that people give a shit about, they kind of yeah. I think I think I think Zuckerberg ownership never mentioned ownership, never said that word once because so he's they're not all in and 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 the hardcore web three people can see that and like forget that is bullshit but what are your thoughts of that video yeah i, I mean you write in the video they didn't ex, uh, explicitly say that but i i saw a couple of weeks ago i think also on linkedin you know on linkedin now i feel like they always the news collect um like zuckerberg did did, did a video about his opinion on nfts and he definitely said that this is going to be something they will use in the metaverse. So I think that he acknowledges that he cannot really dodge that wave. He has yeah. to rather work with it if he doesn't want to be left out. Yeah. That could be a perspective as well. I think we'll... But, uh, uh, yeah, we'll, I'm, like, yeah. I'm, not a, I'm not a huge Facebook fan. I actually, I don't really use the product, so really hard to say. And yeah, we said it before. It's just not cool anymore. It's not exciting. It's old <laughs> yep. it feels old yeah for sure so, so in terms of so you see him really it looks like the nft space i think that's definitely the one application which has had that broad appeal because people understand it very quickly hence open seas revenue and and a couple of other the big marketplaces where do you see the design space evolving to is there particular layers of the NFT capability. I know this might be looking out into the future, which made you go, holy shit, this is going to be huge. Because you're right, it's tiny at the moment, Alex. Mm-hmm. $60 billion market cap is nothing. So so in terms of design space, is there any use cases or any brands getting involved which makes you think, wow, this is going to be massive? If so, what does that look like? I think it's still too early. Like a lot of companies said that they're committed to NFTs and building on the metaverse but there's not that much which happened i think nike is definitely in forefront from the established brands on that the most excited around nfts i'm actually more in the gaming space because i just see like the application they are so 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 obvious but again they're <laughs> like i know that ubisoft recently um announced their nft project i don't know if you heard of it it actually was also oh. a bit of a, of, a, of a joke in the industry. Like, it, I think it's one of the most disliked videos on YouTube ever because they're just trying to like get money out of it. So, it's it's actually a question if there's like really a, a, a established um, player who builds on top of that, or is it like new players building on it? And yeah. I rather guess it's the second one. I think we will see companies like OpenSea um, just basically just doing the same on the gaming space, and I think gaming. Is the fir- in my opinion, will be the first mainstream adoption of NFTs because it's just like you have the target group which is used to digital goods, and you have a space which is like super growing. So I feel like this is just like comes hand in hand that okay, gaming is becoming more and more mainstream, and the use case is just clear. You tokenize basically items and you make it interoperability interoperable between the different gaming worlds and then you have the gamers which already are used to digital items and see value in it so i feel like that's just like really fitting for first mainstream application of it but in my opinion it will be not like an ubisoft who builds on a, um, who builds the layer for it it will be some other company which 
now involves. Could also be the new company of the former founder of Twitch. I don't remember its name. It's like Jack or Jan. <laughs> um, but I know they are working on a new gaming platform for NFTs. What's it called? Jack or Jan? Yeah, it's interesting because if you look at the existing players within gaming, the incentive structure really isn't there really for them financially to kind of really jump in to Web3 immediately, which is weird because some of the roots of owning digital assets is from gaming. In fact, it's from gaming, right? It's linked to yeah, I mean, all Ubisoft yeah. tried to make the commitment, are oh, they going to just like build the new the new gaming world based on NFTs and it's going to be, and you have like a timestamp when you got it and you saw which play you used it. But it's always with Ubisoft also, it's again a, a huge branding issue. Ubisoft doesn't have a good brand. And people are not really looking for that. I feel like they are looking more into the operability space that I can like use it in different platforms. And like the, I think they missed the point of the of this blockchain NFT combination. Do you think it could be Tim Sweeney at Epic who pushes this through? Yeah, actually, that I think they they are in a really good position for that, especially also how they design the games and how they build the worlds up. It's always pretty open and they also embrace a lot of items in their games. So that, that definitely could be could be a potential player to like really steer it. My guess is someone like Tim Sweeney, I mean he's been talking about this for a long while and he's a huge advocate for this there's not one metaverse, it's gonna be many universes kind of uh kind of where you can jump around. But I'm guessing he's his business is larger now, so he mm. might just have internal people on his board saying, I love your idea, but shit, we're going to lose revenue for the first three, four years. So I think it it's going to be interesting. It might be an epic who makes a meaningful move, but to your point, it's probably going to be the native net new companies who've got no legacy who go all in yeah. and build something meaningful. I think there's a great investor called Chris Dixon, who's part of AZ60. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I follow him. I follow him. Yeah, he, he does <laughs> it, I mean, his tweets are just fucking they're amazing, right? Like the way mm. he just wraps things in, into a, a mini tweet storm. But he mentioned the term skewmorphic, where he goes, a lot of what's happening within Web3 are basically Web2 ideas with some Web3 DNA. And, and that's okay, because the real big hits are going to be the native use cases, where it's, I think there's one project called, I think it's called Loot. Have you checked out Loot? It rings a bell, but... Don't yeah, know it's crazy. That is like hardcore native Web three project where you yeah. Own the I'm actually a bit, it's of... a bit like uh, it's just it. It made sense where you can just buy the original story and then people build on top of that story. So it uh, seems. Oh very yeah, cool. yeah. I actually heard of it. Yes. Yeah. It's so... like this adventure gear generated somehow. Yeah, like role playing game. You can see it's projects like that, random stuff, which I think might be meaningful in this space so so in terms of just wrapping up on the on the, on the future of coin panion so congrats alex over a hundred million euro in transaction volume what do the next two years look like obviously you mentioned the nft product but where do you see coin panion in, in in three four years time yeah so i would definitely say we are a european company and we just want to go for not just but our gameplay is we want to be the biggest player in Europe and basically be the BlackRock of digital assets. So I always like BlackRock because they did such a huge, did 
um, thing for the financial industry. And we just want to do the same for the digital asset industry because we think that's the asset class of our generation. And what we, why I always say digital assets, I think it's really important to mention that we're not just a cryptocurrency company, but we are a digital asset company, which means the whole, um, the whole palette of DeFi, cryptocurrencies and NFTs. And NFTs, again, go so, so, so deep. So what will happen in the next couple of years is basically expansion to Europe, expansion of product line, offer new products around NFTs and DeFi, and basically make this whole space super easy to invest in for the everyday job. Okay, makes sense. And as a Web3 entrepreneur, what's been really difficult in building this business? Are there, are there two or three areas which are just fucking hard always in terms of, and Web3 specifically? Yeah. I would say the hardest thing for us is often the regulatory uncertainty, especially on, on things which are really, really new. I mean, there are so many exciting things happening also in the DeFi space, which you think, okay, wow, we definitely have to build something on that. This is something people are going to love. But in the end, there's like so little regulation around it that they can't really offer it in a regulatory manner to people in Europe. And I feel like that's most of the blocking things. From the technology perspective, I think, especially now, I mean, we are not a decentralized company. It's not that we do, like, we basically do it custodian, custodial. So we hold the assets for the customer. The idea is really to make it easy. So there's a lot of simplicity in just combining the decentralized nature of many products with the centralized nature. It would be definitely more complicated if you do it completely decentralized. I think the hardest thing for us is really like, how do you get new stuff to people in a regulated way? kind of yeah i'm guessing that must keep you awake up at night right because it, it's changing all the time right so and yeah the good thing is also the eu is actually pushing forward with their markets and crypto um, assets regulation so they are trying to build up a framework for regulating crypto DeFi, not nfts they're not mentioned there but at least some parts of it and i feel like now in 2022 we are really in this year where regulation has to come not just for european players but for every country basically worldwide adoption of it because a lot of the things we see now and a lot of the possibilities in my opinion are just blocked out by uncertainty is this allowed how can you actually implement it and how can i make it like also accessible for institutions because in the end we also need always institutions to like really drive um, adoption and I feel like 2022 will be that year where we get this fundamental layer of certainty, how we can applicate a lot of the use cases on a legal manner, which then is again, the snowball effect of mass adoption. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. I, I definitely think, I think there was a hearing before Christmas in the U S where yeah. I think FTX turned up, uh, the CEO from circle, I think Coinbase's chief operating officer turned up and actually the questions were really good, Alex, weren't they from, the Senate who attended, it actually impressed me. Um, the quality <laughs> of the questions, because normally it's bullshit questions, but normally actually, it's like really embarrassing. Yeah, like fuck, like cray, like what, like what the fuck is going on when you listen to those things? But actually, fair play to the attendees. There were some really thoughtful questions there. Yeah, so, I feel like also like there are a lot of people now on in really high positions, also in the political landscape of the US, who have an understanding of digital assets. So this just like this, that the right people with the right mindset are in, are in the Congress helps the adoption in the end. 
And I feel like we, it, it really seems like that this year is going to be a, um, a year where we can finally figure something out which works for both parties, like for the regulator and for the providers, like who are building stuff on top of it. Yeah, that, I'm optimistic. I think we share the same school of thought on that one. But you know, another thing which is interesting, Alex, and maybe this is where my age probably will help a little bit. Um, Web 2 was Web 2, right? It didn't have too much to build off. Web 1 was kind of like just websites and links, right? So Web 2 was a, a big, big journey. Web 3, I think, seems a lot more quicker because it's got Web 2 to build off. Also, the way we communicate now through YouTube, Twitter, I mean, the information flow now is exponential. It's changed shitloads even the last seven, eight years. So what that means is you now have got all of these high profile figures, right? Mark Cuban, Kevin O'Leary, I mean, even Elon Musk putting BTC on the balance sheet. You got Michael Saylor, who it looks like he doesn't even work at MicroStrategy anymore. He's just doing fucking hey, he podcasts. Just buys He's doing fucking <laughs> podcast all day long. But we're now living in this really connected, ultra connected world where information flow is instantaneous and it's global. So now governments and regulators, reg regulatory bodies are operating in a completely different paradigm. So they kind of have to move faster. They kind of have to meet folks in the middle a lot more than the past yeah. because there's so many high profile people already in this asset class. And a lot of those high profile people actually sponsor a lot of those politicians and a lot of those parties. So it's all kind of converged in, in a way which has never converged in, in history. So does that make that, sense? That's actually a really good point. Yeah. I, I can see that. It's that's where I think there's, there's this unique context don't get me wrong that I think still there's going to be huge challenges. So, so Alex, just to wrap up your top three predictions for the next year or, or 24 months in terms of just bullish predictions, they might be wrong, but just, just things that you think, yeah, this is going to happen. Okay. Yeah. The first one I already mentioned before, I think 2022, we get a general regulation around crypto in most countries. Like I think definitely in the EU and I can also imagine it in the US, which basically will steer a lot of innovation in the next couple of months then. The second one is, I think we see at least 100% growth in VC money in crypto, in, in web free and crypto companies. So I think the space is especially going on the private company side, getting hotter and hotter. And I think especially this year is going to be a peak point. And the third one is we will at least see two more major companies going into NFTs like major companies, top 100 companies in the world. Okay. And on call, on point two, are you getting so many inbounds from capital allocators? Well, like, look, we're looking at CoinPanion. So that's why you're bullish on, on the venture space. You're getting really frothy approaches. <laughs> um, I mean, yes and no. So yeah, we de definitely get poached a lot, but I, I see it more now with really this, like, I think this is like this, self-enforcing effect of NFTs actually getting a mainstream adoption. You got the money in the last couple of years, you got money last year. People are building products, people are building products, more and more adoption. And I know a lot of VCs are really like future driven, like future focused. So I see the point that they really embrace the space more and more when they see, okay, I don't know, Facebook commits to it, even though it's Facebook or I don't know, Square commits to it. 
So, th so this just gives like the, the, how do you say it? Like the final check mark from the outside industry. Okay, there's gonna have my massive innovation. And in the end, it's in my personal opinion is like, there is no uh, such huge innovation anywhere else happening than Web3 currently. And also not in the next couple of years, because I think this is going in so many directions and there's going to be so many tickle points with Web3, with classic industries from um, internet, but financial industries. I also think it's going to go in like health, medicine, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just the space is so overarching that I think they will just having a, they will just go a lot more money into the space. And geographical split, where do, where do you get the most bullish approaches from in terms of parts of the world? US. US, yeah. Not surprised. But <laughs> Alex, I really enjoyed the exchange today. I think this is going to be super valuable for our audience. So congratulations on your success so far. And hopefully we can catch up for part two, maybe in the yeah, let's do that. And, and see some of those predictions. But Alex, it was awesome connecting and look forward to seeing you again soon, my friend. Yeah, talk soon. Was great. Have fun. Bye. And there you have it, everyone, for today's episode with Ray and Alex. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you did, be sure you're subscribed to the podcast. If you love today's episode, then share this episode out with a friend or colleague who you feel like would benefit from listening to today's podcast. Again, if you want to grab a free copy of Pat Snap's number one best-selling ebook, The Definitive Guide to Connected Innovation Intelligence. All you have to do is go to patsnap.com or just click the link in the description of this podcast. In this ebook, we explore what connected innovation intelligence is, who's it for, and how the world's disruptors are using it to win in hyper-competitive markets. Again, all you have to do is go to the description of this podcast, click that link, or head over to patsnap.com to download your free copy today. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We'll be back next week with another one. Continue to embrace your childlike wonder and stay curious.